Welcome to the Here and Now Motherhood podcast. Here and Now Motherhood is a nonprofit designed to support moms in their transition into motherhood. I'm your host, Nicole Hunt. Hi, everybody. We're here with Mallory. Mallory, would you mind introducing us, uh, introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name's Mallory Tillotson, and I um, am based in the Asheville area of North Carolina. Um, I have a massage and bodywork practice there. I also I do massage and craniosacral therapy. Um, and yeah, also do some work um, in the realm of postpartum time, um, do a little bit of postpartum doula work and also am excited about, um, yeah, starting to teach classes just on like postpartum health and resiliency and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So let's start with the massage. So how did you get into massage? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's kind of always been something that I've been interested in, like as, um, a child at like family gatherings and stuff. I used to go around kind of like massaging my family members and, and yeah, it's always, I think the, the realm of natural healing and like alternative types of medicine has always been interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my second year of college, I did my first year, um, and was really unhappy at where I was. And so I took a year off and then um, transferred to another school and got involved in the wellness program there um, where we were just learning tons about massage and um, energy work and herbs and adaptogens and gut health and just like all kinds of like just interesting alternative more natural ways of healing. Um, and that was my favorite part about being there. And I kind of at that point realized that I didn't really want to be pursuing, um, getting like a college degree anymore. And so I decided to leave that school with the intent to go to massage school at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then I, a couple years later, I ended up in massage school. So that's kind of, yeah, kind of my background with that. That's awesome. So did you use some of that stuff you learned in that course to kind of work on yourself? Um, sure. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I think working on myself, working on friends. Um, and yeah, I think it really just opened my eyes up to like what's possible and how much, um, there is to learn and to know and how many like natural ways there are to, invoke healing in the body. Yeah. Before you had learned that stuff, what was your normal process for invoking healing in the body? Mm, That's a good question. Um, You know, like the first thing that comes to mind is I don't really know that I was like super aware (laughs) um, (laughs) of natural processes. I think like, before that time, you know, I was kind of like in high school and still at home. And, um, a cousin of mine at one point had like 
mentioned how much luck he'd had with ginger, like making ginger tea and taking baths and ginger, like for any kind of ailment. And so that was like the first thing, the first kind of like natural remedy I started with was ginger. And then I learned about echinacea. And so I think like, yeah, at some point, probably in the last few years of my high school experience, I started like looking at those just couple of herbs and like going to them when I was having issues. Um, but still, yeah, I think in a lot of ways I would kind of just like push through things because that's what my dad always did and like taught me about, you know, like don't let a cold get you down. You got to like still show up for work and show up for school and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Does that answer that question? Yeah, that, that definitely does. I love the idea of taking a bath in ginger. That sounds awesome. I know. Yeah. And I actually haven't done that in years now that I think about it, but that was like the first thing that kind of opened me up to like herbal medicine and more natural sort of remedies with my cousin telling me how he used to do that. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. What did your cousin wind up doing? Like, was, did he do that professionally or just did it for himself? No, he just would do that for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he has like a, he calls him his witch doctor, um, <laughs> who has like tons of degrees and all kinds of natural therapies. And yeah, I think that's where he got that from. That's really cool. Yeah. So before you, before you like kind of discovered these natural healing modalities, it sounds like you either didn't have, you didn't know how to deal with them or you just pushed through them and kind of ignored it. Yeah, totally. And I think just use like, you know, over the counter, like, um, like cough syrup or something or yeah, I don't, yeah, I think, I mean, if it was something more serious then I would like get antibiotics or something, but just for like mm -hmm. a run of the mill kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think I really had much other than like over the counter stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's pretty normal for people. Yeah. yeah so yeah. When you, you started seeing, you started in that wellness program, what school was that, that at? So that was at Warren Wilson College, um, which is down here in the Asheville area. Um, yeah, yeah, just it's in Asheville, North Carolina. And it sounded like you were kind of just in this spot where you're like, I don't really like the way my life is working right now. And so I'm just going to try something different. And then you found that wellness program. Is that kind of right? Kind of. Yeah. It was like I had gone to a more traditional school. Well, it was actually a Catholic school um, in Rhode Island. I grew up in Vermont. And so um, I kind of wanted to stay in New England and not too far from home. So mm -hmm. I ended up there and it was really I don't know why I ended up in a Catholic school. <laughs> it was a challenging environment for me. And so, yeah, I took, took some time off um, and really wanted to take some time to like find a school that would really be a good fit for me. And then I got to Warren Wilson and I loved it. And um, War Warren Wilson is a working college. So I think there's a handful of them in the country um, where the students every student who goes there who lives on campus also works. And at the time I was going there, we worked 15 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was my work was the wellness program. It was like called the crew, like every, whatever your work was, it was like the crew that you were on, like you would be on like the wellness crew or the like janitorial crew or mm -hmm. like things like this. So yeah, that's, 
and I had taken a year off. And so when I got to Warren Wilson, I was like, wow, like all of a sudden I have no time to like journal or make a, a, a like piece of art or like, where's my free time. And I like taking that year off before I got to Warren Wilson, I think like once I arrived and was back in the kind of grind of school, I realized how stressful it was and how taxing it was and how little time I had for myself. Um, and that was challenging for me. And yeah, I noticed that being in the wellness program, which was like my, like quote unquote work was my favorite part of being there. Like the Mm -hmm. academia, the academia wasn't really what I was enjoying (laughs) about being at school. So, so what was your day-to-day work with being on the wellness crew? What were you doing? Yeah. So we would, um, we had a lot of workshops where we would like like people from the community in the like greater Asheville area would come in and teach us um about herbs or kind of like I spoke to in the beginning like herbs or gut health or different kinds of energy work or different massage techniques um and we would have open hours a couple times a week where students could come in and receive massages from us so we had this like massage space where there were bunch of tables set up and um yeah it would just be like 15 minute massages where people would come in and get on the table and so it was like that was part of our work was showing up for those open hours showing up for meetings we had like a weekly meeting I think um showing up for the workshops um and then we could also get hours by doing um one-on-one sessions with students if a like student would I mean we were students too but if another student would come to us and like book a one-on-one session that would count toward our work hours mm-hmm. um and then we also um had two hours of self-care time so like receiving a massage or just whatever we wanted to do for self-care that was like kind of a requirement was that we do two hours a week of self-care time. Um, yeah, which is really awesome. And not, I don't think any of the other crews really did that, but because we were like doing body work on other people, like Mm -hmm. informally, of course. Um, but yeah, I think because we were like giving that like energy output in that way, um, our crew leader, uh, supervisor kind of worked that into our work hours for the week. Yeah, that's very smart because that can be really draining to do body work on people. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you were doing body work on and you're doing this wellness crew at school and then you realize like, wait, I actually just like doing like the actual work rather than the academia. So how long was it until you stopped school and like moved away from the academia part of it. Yeah. So I stayed there for a year, um, uh, like a, you know, a school year. And I think somewhere in the spring semester, I realized that I just didn't want to continue on in, mm-hmm. in like college and that, in the educational kind of system in that traditional way. I didn't want to like pursue getting my college degree anymore. Yeah. Well, was there something that pushed you to finally be like, I'm done with my college degree? I think like just understanding that ultimately I wanted to 
go to massage school as a gateway into like the healing, the realm of healing arts and like becoming a like quote unquote healer. Mm -hmm. It felt like that was my calling. And I realized that regardless of it, if I received a college degree or not, I was going to go to massage school and like do that route. And so I just was like, why do I stay here like an extra two years and get like thousands and thousands of dollars deeper in debt to then go to massage school and like begin my life when I could just skip the first part and avoid all that debt (laughs) and just go straight to getting what I want, you know, and I did take some time to get there, but yeah, my massage school was a six month intensive program once I Mm -hmm. entered it. And I think I was, maybe completed with that by the time I would have graduated college anyway. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think just kind of looking at it like logically and just really asking myself like what it is that I want. Like, do I want this college degree? Do I want to invest all this time and energy and money and like stress or do I want to just like move toward what I want? So, yeah. Yeah, I love that that like – And I feel like many times healers can be very intuitive as well. So it's like practicing that with yourself of being like, what do I want? I'm going to move towards that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you were, you did, you did a six month intensive for massage school. Yeah. What was that like? Um, Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was good. I loved it. It was like, I finally felt like I was in school learning something that I was really passionate about. You know, it didn't quite feel like I was trudging through it as much as Mm -hmm. I had for like 18 or 20 years of, you know, the typical school system. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a lot, you know, my program was actually like maybe maybe a little less intensive than some of the other ones I'd been looking at. It was three Monday through Wednesday, nine to five. Mm-hmm. And then we had clinic shifts, like one to two clinic shifts a week, um, which was like five hours of time, but I think only three hours of hands-on massage, but with breaks and stuff in between. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was like another period of time where I, I was also working um, while I was in school. And so it was like kind of an intense time of Mm -hmm. like just being really full and really busy, but yeah, I really appreciated it. You know, we were getting, we would do like, like kind of in the morning have a lesson and then the later half of the day, maybe have like a little more of a lesson, but then almost every day like Monday Tuesday and Wednesday we'd be doing we'd be working on each other like doing a trade essentially so it was like I was receiving that much body work and giving that much body work and it was just a time of like yeah accelerated learning and I feel like it really helped me having my body touched that much really helped me like tune in more with my body and my experience and like become more familiar with my body and understand like what all is stored in the body. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, and it really prepared me to, um, to come out and be ready to work with people 
Um, so yeah, it was great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. And how long have you been doing massage now? Um, I graduated school almost three years ago. Mm. Yeah. And so you, like, who do you usually give massages to? Like, who are your main clients? Yeah. Um, I have, that's a good question. Um, lots of different people come in to see me. Um, I'm also doing craniosacral therapy now, which I've been doing for the last year. And so I have, um, some folks that come for massage and just want to like come relax and drop in, Mm -hmm. um, to their body and have it just be their time, you know, like once a month or every couple of weeks Mm -hmm. or something where they just get to relax. And, um, yeah. And then I also have like some clients who come to see me for craniosacral work. Um, so for those who are listening and don't know what craniosacral work is, can you describe that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, it's a more subtle type of body work that, um, it works with the, um, it works with the nervous system and the flow of, um, cerebrospinal fluid that, um, travels around the brain and down the spine. Um, and there's a rhythm that that fluid flow creates that you can feel throughout the body. Um, and so it's more subtle. It tends to be light touch and it's like physical, it's kind of physical and energetic. It's really neat in that way. Um, so yeah, it's, um, there's like an aspect of it that is, kind of for me the way I work with it is really just intuitively like deep deeply listening to what the body wants and holding like presence for the body to kind of find its own way to heal and then there's this other aspect of actually physically kind of helping things to shift especially in the cranium um if you feel like malalignment or something that's um yeah, just out of, I guess out of place or malalignment is what I would just describe it, but it's a very subtle adjustment. It's like very light touch. Um, yeah, when I've experienced it, it's very, um, very light touches and it's like very impactful though. Yeah. Yeah. Most impact. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Most of my clients like will fall into a a deep sleep or a very deep relaxed state. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, a lot of clients will have not always, but often there's some kind of emotional lease, like release, like laughter or crying or, um, yeah, things like that. So yeah, it works on a really deep level. Um, how did you get into the craniosacral therapy? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier that in attending massage school and kind of stepping a foot into massage, I've always seen it as this like gateway to what's beyond that for me, like in North Carolina. And I think a lot of States in the country, you need a license to touch in order to do body work. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I've always been interested in the more subtle realms like energy work, um, 
and things of that nature. And so, yeah, I think doing massage for a while, um, I mean, I, I do love doing massage and, and I also am just interested in the more subtle kind of realms. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, one of my teachers, um, that I had in massage school, she also, she taught us Swedish massage, but she also taught us craniosacral therapy and she was doing, um, and continuing education course, which as massage therapists, we have to um, at least in North Carolina to renew our license. And I think in a lot of States you have to do continuing education, um, to keep your license up to date and to be able to renew it. And so that's what I chose to do for my continuing ed. Um, and yeah, that was about a year and a half ago, I guess. Um, I think earlier I said a year, but it's like coming up more closer to a year and a half now. Um, yeah, and I just really loved it and just kind of kept up with it after after doing the trainings. So That's wonderful. Yeah. Um how did you make the transition over to like doing training with innate traditions? Yeah, so um I don't even know, you know, if I would call it a transition. I think it's just kind of like adding more to my basket so to speak or something you know um I oh how did that come about um I spent some time I spent about a year and a half living with some friends who had a baby and we lived in a kind of like communal way we shared all our food and cooked meals together and for each other and um just had this like cohesive family style kind of community style living situation and I was involved in their child's life a lot and he was four months old when I moved in with them um and I also had a friend who um lives in the same area as me who had done this training. And I'd heard that she'd done that training just a little bit like this postpartum doula, postpartum care training and was curious about it. And, um, I just asked her about it one day about like what it was like. And, um, she said that the teacher was from Taos and she's like, I think she only teaches in Taos now, Taos, New Mexico. And I used to live there before I moved back to Asheville. Um, and I was like, no way. And I'm kind of always looking for an excuse to go to Taos. And so that was around June of that year. Um, which I guess I think was 2018. Um, and I went on the website and saw that she had a training coming up in, um, August of that year. And so, yeah, I signed up and went out there and yeah, I think just, you know, living with that family, with my friends, like I just felt so called to like be of service in a way, just seeing like how much energy it is to raise a child. And like, it's like this there's like this deep knowing within me that the mother needs to be honored and needs to be uplifted and held in that experience. Um, and I think that kind of led me into that training, just wanting to know more about that and how, and like get some more tools around that and see how that might be a way for me to like integrate 
my work into the world um, and be a part of my work in the world. Um, and that's awesome because like body work is such a huge, important piece of postpartum care. So you already have that massage piece. So combining those is really powerful. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I felt that at the time too. And I still feel that now. Yeah. Post like, yeah, body work is a huge part of that. And just, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I can wrap this into kind of my repertoire of what I do. living with your friends that had the baby, what, what specific challenges did you see, um, in motherhood and parenting? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, just like that there aren't enough hands, you know, like how, does a nuclear family and you know I suppose they weren't really operating as a nuclear family because I was around and another friend of ours lived with us as well but just in my work seeing other families and kind of zooming out from that and looking at them as if they were a nuclear family it's like how does a nuclear family make enough money and get all the food cooked and do the dishes and hold the baby enough that like hold the baby as much as the baby needs to be held and change the diapers as much as the diapers need to be changed. And like, there's so much to taking care of an infant or a child. And yeah, I think it just was taxing for them, like figuring, like, I think, you know, just watching them try to figure out how to find a balance, how to make the, the work or like the energy exchange feel balanced. Um, because everyone kind of feels like they're doing too much. Um, which I think is the case when we live in nuclear families and, and, you know, I, I don't pass judgment on that, but it's just the, um, the structure of our society has kind of put us into these nuclear family boxes. And, um, yeah, I think just watching, watching that struggle, you know, like I would be, um, we, you know, we'd be at home and my friend, the mother would be like trying to cook dinner and her six month old baby is, on the floor and he starts to cry and like needs to be held, but she's in the middle of like cooking dinner. And maybe she's also trying to make a phone call real quick while he's being quiet on the ground and her partner's at work in town, you know? And like, if I wasn't there, like, how does she juggle it all? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
And when her partner comes home and she wants to be relieved, he's been working all day and he's tired. And he wants, of course, to connect with his child, but he's exhausted. And yeah, just that, that struggle of like having enough energy to meet everyone's needs, you know, and be financially supported and emotionally supported. And yeah, I mean, I could go on. (laughs) Totally. I mean, all of that, I think every mom can relate to that, especially because as you were saying, it's, I think it takes a lot of effort to set up your life in a way that's not a nuclear family. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't always work out because, you know, jobs and tons of different factors. So, I mean, we're just kind of like when you just kind of plug along in life, you wind up in a nuclear family, you know. Yeah. Kind of isolated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely what um, the American society has kind of – it's like the typical structure of the American society, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And you feel like you don't realize how problematic it is till you're like in the middle of it. And you're right. like, wait, is this really what this is supposed to be like? Because it doesn't feel very easy. Right, right, right. Totally. And that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, I, yeah, I could say so much on that. Rochelle, my teacher, Rochelle Garcia Saliga, who um, uh, leads the innate traditions trainings. Yeah, she speaks to that a lot. You know, it's like you as a mother, you come to this place where there's this like deep, like innate knowing that like, this is like, there's something wrong with this picture, you know, like it just doesn't feel right. Um, And I, I listened to an interview by her. She kind of likened that to a smoke alarm. Does that sound familiar to you? Mm, I don't know if I've heard her speak to that analogy. So she was saying that a lot of times we'll look at mothers as like, guys, you have like postpartum depression or you have these issues, like something's wrong with you. But really the mom baby unit is this alarm, like alerting society. Like there's something wrong with society. Yeah. Like this alarm saying like, guys, we have to fix this, you know, burning stove Yeah. rather than like – gosh, that smoke alarm is so annoying. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's this like, and that's like kind of, you know, I think she also speaks to like collective grief or ancestral grief. Um, and which I would, I would call those two different things. Um, but yeah, it's like this. And I, I, yeah, I think that's where postpartum depression can really come in is that, you know, we're so kind of individualized in our nuclear family unit that we have no context for the fact that this, there's something wrong with the system. And so we internalize it and like personalize it. Like there's something wrong with me. Why, why am I having such a hard time? Why is this so hard? Why is this so challenging? Why can't I, do the laundry and cook all my food for myself and feed my baby and get enough rest and get my social needs met and, and, and like the list goes on and on, you know, and because we're not in tribes or communities where we see like elders around us who, you know, get to show us like, 
we don't get to see how it's done. Most of the, like a lot of mothers, when they have a baby, that's their first time spending any significant time around an infant. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, there's no like map or guidebook. There's no like community that we get to be surrounded by, like seeing our cousins and our nieces and nephews, like on the day to day, watching other mothers raise their children. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we don't get that. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, postpartum depression I think one of the reasons why it's so rampant is that kind of piece of like internalizing all the all of those feelings um when really it's a systematic issue totally yeah and instead of it being like this is my fault there's something defective with me because I can't handle motherhood when really it's society is not set up to support mothers and babies and families exactly yeah exactly Yep. So, um, what are some of the things that you learned in innate traditions that are, cause innate traditions has like this very, um, almost like, I don't know, like, like tapping into yourself of like, what, like, what does a mother need to do? Like, um, like, so what are some of the things that you learned in innate traditions that are really helpful for moms? Yeah, totally. So I think like, I mean, Rochelle kind of talks about um, the four pillars of postpartum care being warmth, rest, body work, um, and nourishing foods, like proper nourishment. Um and then we talk a lot about community as well, kind of community building. And so, um, yeah, let me um, just kind of think about how to talk about this in a distilled way because there's so much to say here. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we talk about um, setting up systems of support, you know, um, having, yeah, again, just kind of trying to just distill here. Um, can you ask your question again? Yeah. So like, what are some of the, I mean, you did kind of ask the whiz, like the four pillars of that she teaches about the postpartum mother's needs. So maybe we can just kind of dive into each of those. So like the warmth, can you speak to that of like, how would a mother apply that in her life? Yeah. Like she's warm? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, having warm clothes on having, and it depends on what time of year that you have your baby, but especially if it's in the winter and even in the summer, you know, like avoiding drafts, like not being right next to an air conditioning unit. Um, having socks on, having like a hat on, having a scarf on, taking um, warm baths, eating warm foods. That's super important. Eating foods that are warm in temperature, not eating, um, you know, cold chicken salad out of the refrigerator or cold leftovers or drinking ice water. Um, avoiding, yeah, drafts, like I said, um, yeah, keeping the body warm. Um, because when the body's warm, 
blood is flowing and circulation is flowing, which is what helps to promote healing. And if the body is cold, then the body has to expend more energy to stay warm. Um, and that's less energy when that energy could be going to healing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 To be, yeah. That energy can, can be going to, yeah. Restoring, um, the uterus and all the, the uterus back to its, um, original size and just, yeah. Healing the, you know, any tears or scarring or, um, things that can occur in birth. Um, yeah. And, and then also like milk production, you know, um, and things like that. Like there's so much energy that the body requires, um, to grow and raise a baby and then heal from birth that having that warmth piece just be provided like externally so that the body doesn't have to expend extra energy to do that is I think super essential and important. Um, yeah. And I remember listening to an interview by Rachel and she was saying that part of that being cold is not being like kind of emotionally, like not being left out in the cold, like not being lonely. That's another piece of yeah. it. Is that accurate? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think, yeah, that's another crucial piece, which maybe is like more about the, the about the community, which we could kind of dive into that piece too. Um, yeah. So let's tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, just gathering, I think during, you know, I think it's ideal if one can do this like in pregnancy or even pre-pregnancy, but it's also totally doable in the postpartum time, but just kind of gathering people around who are, um, willing to support, willing and able to support, you know, to like come by, you know, um, meal train is becoming like a really popular thing. There's a website called mealtrain.com. And I think even if you don't use the website, like I think I had some friends a few years ago who just did a Google doc, but setting up a meal train where, um, people come to bring you food every day or every other day, you know, there's like, like on mealtrain.com, there's a calendar, um, Mm -hmm where folks can sign up to bring you a meal and just having people like stop in and, um, bring you, bring you the meal. And then also, you know, I think it, it depends on the day and the mother and what people want, but also having people being willing to come in and like hold the baby for a little while. Um, and, to maybe do a load of laundry or do some dishes for you or like tidy the tidy your home up a little bit or um you know vacuum or just whatever it may be that you're needing a little extra support with and I think like you know speaking to that um yeah just trying to like create that community for yourself kind of in the the pregnancy time, like if you have, um, a baby shower or, um, a blessing way or something like that, you know, asking for that kind of support, um, can be really helpful and kind of creating a network of folks where like, you know, before you have your baby or after you're kind of out of that deep 
postpartum time and able to like offer up your energy more, you know, doing that for your, your friends as well, your community members as well, your neighbors as well. Um, so yeah, and that's going to look different for every mother, um, depending on, you know, who, who she feels close to and how many, um, people she's got in her life that can show up in that way. And, you know, how, what her relationship is like with her own mother or her mother-in-law or yeah. Um, things like that. Um, there's this interesting concept. I think it's called the seven sisters. Um, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where you have seven women or I don't even think it would have to be women if you have close men or male bodied, um, friends in your life too, but seven people who I think it's maybe even for seven weeks, or I think it could be as many weeks as you want, but each of them have a day. So, um, the first person might come on Mondays, every Monday for seven, six or seven or eight weeks, that person is going to come and just check in with you that day and see what you need. And maybe it's bringing you a meal or yeah, just coming, um, like to help with some of those tasks that I listed earlier, um, just kind of showing up for you and support on Monday. And then on Tuesday, it's a different person. Um, and on Wednesday, it's a different person. And even if you don't have seven, even if you have four, you know, having like mm-hmm. four people that for the next eight weeks can come once a week to just support you and help you and keep you from feeling lonely. You know, if your partner has to go back to work after two weeks or a week or a month, um, you know, and maybe you can implement that whenever your partner does ha- go back to work, you know, maybe you're okay the first week or two, just you and, and, um, your partner, if you have one. Um, but yeah, so there's different ways to kind of set up those support networks. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And like the idea of having, like, even if it was just one person that you found like right. once a week, that sounds like, luxurious and magical to have somebody care about you that much. Right. That's what you need. Right. Right. And maybe they can offer you some touch, you know, like a foot rub or, Mm -hmm. um, just a shoulder rub or just cuddle you in bed if that's what you want or hold your baby if you're needing a little break. And, and I think the important thing too, one thing that I want to emphasize is that like sometimes, you know, with the meal train or just these other systems of support, like sometimes support looks like, you as the mother just being left alone, you know? And I think that's really important too, is just having people that can support you in that way too. You know, like I've had that with, um, friends in, in my community who have babies, there's kind of a lot of like families and budding families and a lot of people to set up the meal train. And, you know, sometimes I sign up and, go bring someone a meal and, you know, I'll text them like, Hey, I'll be there in a few hours. And they're just like, okay, great. If you can just leave the food at the door, we're really not feeling like visiting today, you know? And just like, that's, that's great and important too. Like if that's the kind of support that you need is for someone to just drop the food by your door. Cause you don't want to see anyone today. Like that's okay. And, and that's a really important part of that support piece too. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I love like encouraging the mom to like honor that piece of her. That's like, 
I don't, I, I don't want to see people and being like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to support you in that. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. So we have community, warmth. Um, what were the other ones? Yeah, so then um, rest, rest, body work, and nourishing foods. And so, yeah, rest is super important. Again, like um, – just it's really important to allow the body that time to heal um and you know being a new mother you're constantly like sleep deprivation is really a real thing and um giving yourself you know Rochelle says like the first 30 days you know just being in bed if you Mm -hmm. can like only getting up to go pee um you know, there's traditions all around the world that that's how it is in the postpartum time, you know, the first like 30 or 40 days, you're just, you're just in bed with your baby and other Mm -hmm. people are bringing you food and, you know, taking the baby if you need rest or, um, yeah, just taking care of everything else so that you can have your time to rest and recuperate. And that's really important because, um, yeah, I mean, the body needs rest in order to heal. Um, and during pregnancy, you know, as I spoke to a little bit earlier, it's like the uterus is stretched. Like, I can't remember the statistic, but it's like many times it's normal size. And that pushes, you know, all the other organs in the abdomen into different arrangements. And the uterus has 14 ligaments that attach it into place that are, um, hold it in place. Um, and so all those ligaments are stretched. Um, and yeah. And then when, after the birth, there's like this vacancy in that space. Um, And it's really important to have, yeah, that warmth and that rest to allow everything to come back to its normal size and place. And, um, you know, if that isn't allowed time, then there can be things like prolapse, which is where the bladder or the uterus or the rectum starts to descend, um, into and or sometimes out of the vaginal opening and there's several stages of prolapse um but that's one major thing that can happen if there's not enough rest if we're not giving the body the time that it needs to kind of reintegrate because all those ligaments are really like loose and stretched now and ligaments take a while to heal you know like if you have like an ankle um sprain I guess it's called when you don't like break a bone but but the ligament is stretched like it takes a long time for ligaments to heal um because there's not as much cardiovascular or um vascular flow as there is um in muscles and other tissues um I didn't think about it like that like when you sprain an ankle it's the same thing as your uterus going back to its normal size and like you would go on crutches or something. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't use it. Yeah. And people would be like, why are you walking on that? And then, so the way to do that for a mom is that she rests in bed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, it's super important. And I think just, you know, the integration time, like rest, you know, you've just gone through this experience where the part of you who wasn't a mother died and the part of you who is a mother was born. And that's a huge, that's a huge shift. And, you know, I don't, I don't think women, I don't really like to use the word should, but I will use it here. Like, I don't think women should be expected to, yeah, just resume life as normal after that. You know, that takes some integration time to like, yeah, just get used to the new way of life. And And especially because... I know for me and lots of other moms, you kind of expect that you'll be yourself and then you just add a baby into the mix. Right. But really what happens is just what you said that the old part of you dies and then you're born as a mother. Yeah. So a lot of times that's surprising. Yeah. And so that transition is like, can be very jarring. Yeah. 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 And that's something that's not really spoken to as much in our culture too. Like, yeah, part of you is going to die when you give birth. Like you're giving birth to this, not only this new life, but this new part of yourself as well. And that takes time to integrate. It's like any, any huge life changing process or death or transition, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, and you said nourishing foods was another thing. Yeah. Nourishing foods is another thing. So yeah, it takes, um, yeah, I, again, that piece about warm, warmth, warm foods, warm foods that are easy to digest. Um, and the warm is like warm in temperature, but also warming spices. So you think of like ginger, cardamom, cinnamon, clove, um, those kind of like chai warming spices. I also use like a lot of turmeric and cumin. Um, so foods that have those kind of warming elements and also are warm in temperature and easy to digest. So like soups and, um, I make like a lot of congees, um, yeah congee is like a rice porridge so it's like rice with lots of extra water and just cooked for a long time so it's super soft um and easy to digest um getting fats and proteins are essential um because that's what helps with milk production and that's like what a baby needs to grow both like when the baby is inside of you and outside of you is fats and proteins are like kind of what comprise like most of our bodies. Um, and so, yeah, just having tons, tons of fat, tons of protein. Um, and yeah, I know it can kind of get into tricky waters, um, with vegan and vegetarian diets. And so I may not go so much into that, but just, yeah, I definitely recommend, you know, like, like if dairy works well with your body, which it doesn't work super well with mine, but some people it does. Um, yeah, just having like whole raw milk and, um, butter, lots of butter, ghee is great. Um, and high quality fats and proteins too. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so like 
avocados, olive oil, coconut oil, um, ghee, um, integrating those things into your diet, um, meats that are, you know, like ideally organic and grass fed. Um, and yeah, Rochelle in the innate training recommends like slow cooked meats. So not necessarily like a fried like burger, but like something that's been cooking in the crock pot, um, for several hours. Um, bone broth is like so amazing and essential, so healing and so nourishing because it's like so easy to digest, but so packed full of minerals and proteins and nutrients, um, that your body can easily assimilate. So yeah, cooking bones, um, for like 12 or 24 or 48 hours on the stove and just sipping that. And you can add like all kind of, you know, you can add like veggies, like celery and carrots and seaweed and mushroom. Like you can add all kinds of things to bone broth to make it more tasty. And you can add miso to it once it's done. Um, so yeah, gosh, I could go on about that forever. I'm really passionate about food and cooking and that's kind of where my focus has lied with the postpartum work that I've done. But, um, yeah, no, me too. I can see the the impact of nourishing foods is absolutely astounding. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, think about the difference of holding like a bowl of warm, like red lentils, like a doll cooked with like bone broth and maybe like some canned coconut milk that's super fatty with a dollop of ghee on it. And, like some chunks of like carrots and celery versus like a cold piece of lasagna that you pull out of the fridge and put on a plate, you know, it's just like, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that Rochelle speaks to too, you know, is like, like a lot of the things that people I think maybe traditionally tend to bring in that time, like lasagna, like huge sheets of like lasagna and pasta and stuff like that. It's like kind of like the worst thing that you want to be eating in the postpartum time. Like just like the dense, like, um, like cheese and pasta, like kind of like, yeah, more processed, like you want to avoid processed things and focus more on like whole foods and, and veggies are super important to get in there too. And, um, brassicas can be a little harder to digest like kale and collards and Brussels sprouts and broccoli, like more like chard or spinach and green beans and, um, you know, carrots and, and root vegetables are really good too. And squash like sweet potatoes and squashes and things like that. So, yeah. And I'll say, um, I'll just plug the, the book. Um, the first 40 days has a bunch of, I mean, it's got a bunch of amazing information on the postpartum time, but she has a lot of really awesome recipes in that book for the postpartum time. So if people are looking for some inspiration and she talks about kanji and all that stuff. So that's a really good, um, reference for inspiration around, um, foods. Yeah, that book is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and then one other little thing I'll say on the food too, and just like a way to tie like the support piece back in is like a way that you can really help yourself, um, 
you know, maybe if you feel like you are kind of lacking that community piece and there's not a lot of people around that you feel like you can call on for help or trust in is like while you're pregnant, you know, cooking big batches of these foods for yourself and freezing them. Or even if you have a pressure canner and canning is something that you're familiar with, you know, doing like pressure canning, like a few batches of bone broth, but a freezer works great too, you know, just cooking like a huge batch of red lentil dal or chicken soup or um, bone broth and then having it in the freezer so that it's easy to just pull it out and let it thaw and heat it up, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. little like portion sizes for you and your family. So that's a really good way. um, Yeah, just to help support yourself get nourishing foods in that time when when things are more challenging. And so I know we have a couple other um, pieces to get to. Yeah, so the body work is the other one, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, was there another one? No, I guess we hit it. Rest, foods, mm-hmm. body work. Yeah, so body work. Yeah, body work um, is another, yeah, just important piece of the postpartum time. You know, there are, I think I mentioned um Rochelle kind of pulls on a lot of traditions from around the world, like Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and just other, other traditions. And there are a lot of traditions where the woman, um, the mother is kind of in bed and getting body work like every single day. Um, you know, belly binding is kind of a thing that people talk about and in traditions where like the tradition that belly binding comes out of, is like the belly is bound and wrapped, but then also there's like massage happening every day to keep everything flowing. Cause just the constriction of the belly bind can be, um, a negative thing if it isn't balanced with that body work piece. So yeah, body work is really important because it's, you know, getting nourishing, supportive touch, um, which can help the body drop into a healing space, Um, and again, yeah, just promoting that healing of, um, the abdomen and bringing everything back into place and body work also just, it induces that rest state, which also, um, is where, you know, healing occurs and, um, also just helps with blood flow and circulation and, you know, bringing new blood to an area also helps with the healing process, um, Yeah. And, um, there are specific types of body work, like Mayan abdominal massage, um, like our Vigo techniques are, can be really helpful with kind of restoring the abdomen to its original state, the abdomen and pelvis back to its original state. Um, but yeah, I think just that's another way that a mother can like help to feel supported, um, in that time and like physically, energetically, emotionally, I think body work is just a really good way to support, um, further support that healing process. Um, you know, and something, you know, I think with body work, what comes up a lot of times is like women or people in general, just feeling like they can't afford it. And it's like a luxury item. And I understand that that's really real for a lot of people. And, you know, Rochelle speaks to like, just trying to kind of like prioritize things like prioritizing your health in the postpartum time, you know, like when, if you do have a baby shower or a blessing way or something like that, like instead of gifts, you can like, or, 
like, yeah, in lieu of certain gifts and like stuff and objects, like donating to a bodywork fund or donating to like contributing money to, to a fund where, um, you can get yourself some support in the postpartum time, you know, maybe hire a postpartum doula or yeah, just receive some massage from someone who will bring a table into your home or, um, things like that. So yeah, just some creative ideas on about like, yeah, how to get, how to help yourself get those needs met. Um, I love the idea of of having people purchase you services instead of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And then also the, the piece around like your partner too, and like your close friends or maybe your mother or mother-in-law, you know, asking if they'd be willing to, to offer you some touch, just like a foot rub or even just like placing their hands on your belly over your womb, you know, and just the, the warmth, you know, Rochelle really speaks to like just the warmth of the touch or even your own hands over that area, just like that warmth and that touch and that intention can go a long way to help support the healing process, you know, like wakes that part of your body up um, to know and realize that like, there's something there and yeah, it just brings like awareness and blood flow and healing to that area, just even by holding a hand over it. So lots of creative ways to um, help get those needs met as well. I love that. And what, what sorts of things do, do you see that go better or go really well, um, like better than expected when you use some of those traditions? Mm, That's a good question. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the mother is less prone to postpartum depression in general, because she's feeling, you know, supported and like, she's not alone. Um, you know, she's getting, you know, if, if the mother is getting proper nutrients through like those nourishing foods, Um, rather than just grabbing like a snack of chips and salsa, like a few times a day or whatever it may be, because that can happen in the postpartum time, especially if the mother has other kids, but yeah, just being like properly nourished, how far that can go. And like you having, you know, if you have, if you're being nourished properly with foods, then your body has more energy to, recuperate and rest. And so you feel more resourced and you feel less overwhelmed and less drained, um, and more just able to do this thing called life, you know, and life with a new life. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just one example, but yeah, I think it just helps women to feel more resourced and more able to to do it and to continue on. You know, I think women face a lot of times mothers um, in that postpartum time, just like, how am I going to, how do, how do I do this? How do I go on? Like, I think it just helps um, minimize that daunted, overwhelmed kind of feeling that can happen. Um Yeah. And I also find that like women feel more resilient throughout, you know, beyond the postpartum time being nourished in that postpartum time, like Rochelle and also like in Chinese medicine, 
like Rochelle talks about, and it's also spoken to in other traditions such as Chinese medicine, that like the postpartum time, those first six weeks, you know, it's really a time where um, to, it's like this opportunity to either kind of like um, drain your resources or build them up, you know, and that will kind of like be reflected in the rest of your life. Um, you know, like if, if you're able to be like well supported and take care of yourself and like nourished and get what you need in that postpartum time, then you won't feel quite as like drained throughout the rest of motherhood and into, into menopause and stuff like that. It's like this resiliency building, um, that really has a long-term effect. That's awesome. And I hear that in a lot of other traditions as well, that that period after you have a baby is a chance to like build up that storage almost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thinking back to the beginning, how has a, being a massage therapist and a postpartum doula changed how you feel about the process of becoming a mother and a parent? Mm, in my own life? Yeah, or just observing it in other people. Yeah. Um, so, okay, your question was, how does me being a massage therapist and this – sorry, can you just ask it again? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, so thinking back to the beginning, so how has being a massage therapist and doing this training as a doula, as a postpartum doula, changed how you feel about the process of becoming a mother, becoming a parent? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think for one thing, you know, doing this innate, the innate postpartum care training with Rochelle, like it really woke me up to um, how lacking we are in our system, both in like our resources and our knowledge, um, when we enter into being parents and like, it's really just showed me like, like I feel so much more prepared now if I do choose to have children to like, like I feel more prepared in how I would show up for myself and ask others to show up for me. Um, and yeah, it's just really sh- like helped me to see, yeah, just how, how, like, how, like, I just, I, I think it's built like a lot of, I have a lot of reverence for that process of becoming a mother and becoming a parent um, and respect for it. And yeah, just this like, deep understanding of what a like precious and vulnerable time that is and how important it is to like really be cared for, um, and supported in a deep way. And yeah, I mean, the bodywork piece goes along with that too. I think just, yeah, realizing, you know, a little can go a long way in terms of a massage or a craniosacral session or, um, bringing someone a hot meal or, you know, doing a load of dishes for somebody. Um, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other final thoughts you'd like to share about massage or postpartum care? Mm. 
That's a good question. I think that, yeah, I'd love to just say like to mothers, new mothers, or like mothers to be people who want to be mothers, like starting anywhere is awesome. You know, like even just getting one massage after you give birth or during your pregnancy or just finding one friend to cook you a meal or like whatever it is, wherever you can start to, yeah, just take those steps to take care of yourself and and help to nourish yourself in a, in a deeper way is yeah, just wonderful and amazing. And it's like a step in a more supported kind of direction. You know, I think a lot of this information can be overwhelming um or this is a lot of information and it can be overwhelming and so yeah I think just any step that you can take in in that direction is great and awesome wonderful thank you so much for your time Mallory it's a pleasure to speak with you yeah you too thanks so much Nicole until next time this has been the here and now motherhood podcast 